0: we actually go into the message, I want to take this opportunity to, in a moment, introduce a friend of mine. Somebody that I met many years ago, and recently we've been back in touch with each other, and he has, he is a musician, and he has a long-standing history of of doing wonderful things in music, and I've had the privilege of being able to be affected by his life and his ministry. And it goes way back for me into the mid '80s, when he was really young, <laughs> and uh, I was a part of a ministerial group of of pastors in Quincy, Massachusetts. And one of the men, uh, the men who was in that uh, ministerial group, his name was Roger Quam. And Roger came into one of our ministerial meetings one time, and he was just bragging away on a young man and his music and the things that God was doing through him, and he allowed him to set up a studio in their church, First Presbyterian Church in Quincy. And so it was through that opportunity that I got to meet this young man. And he has uh, is putting together another album, but this is a very, very unique album. And I'm going to play something for you in just a moment before we invite him to come and interact around this. What it is is he has taken many of the songs that have been popularized currently through this last generation or so, and he has rewritten the words. These songs, so they carry an emphasis of the gospel into them. You will recognize this, and we're going to roll it now. It's kind of a rip off on a Toto song called Rosanna, but go ahead and play it for us. Thank you.
1: bless your name Hosanna Hosanna I always knew your love would be enough to set my soul free Hosanna
0: and enjoy and just tell us a little bit about what this new album project is that you're into doing and releasing
2: yeah it was a ton of fun to do a ton of work um, mm-hmm. but it's it I have uh, nine originals uh, original song albums out and this is my tenth and I don't know why I started doing this but I started uh, to take songs like this and uh, put faith-based lyrics lyrics to them and uh, it's been a really uh, fun project now I will say also that I got kind of stuck because of the quarantine and, and thought, like, how in the world is this album going to get out, because we can't have anybody come into the, the studio and all that. And then finally it dawned on me, wait a minute, I'll just do all the parts. <laughs> and so it, it, you, know, you can do that with multi-track recording and everything, it was just a, a lot of fun. Um, now, one thing that comes up a lot, though, is why are you doing you know, secular songs? And uh, there's such a cool uh, historical aspect to this. Amen. Uh, biblical, you know, in terms of biblical history, and we have uh, uh, prolific uh, hymn writers like Fanny Crosby, for instance. She is the most prolific hymn writer in history, right. and uh, she wrote uh, secular songs, uh, hymns, you know, very faith-filled biblical uh, songs, and then rewrote them with with Christian lyrics. Uh, other examples: Martin Luther. Um, William Booth, that started the Salvation, you have a connection, right, with the Salvation Army? Salvation Army, sure. Yeah. Um, And I have this quote that I I just, I read for the first time last night about William Booth, which I am just stunned by. Uh, And he says, uh, you must sing good tunes. Let it be a good tune to begin with. I don't care much whether you call it secular or sacred, I rather enjoy robbing the devil of his choicest tunes. And after his subjects themselves, music is about the best commodity he possesses. Mm. It is like taking the enemy's guns and turning them
0: against him. Isn't that cool? Yeah, amen. Well, you know what? Wouldn't you like to have David come back and be able to bring a group of musicians and be able to do something here live? We're going to figure that out. And Pastor Miranda had uh, tasked me with the opportunity to be able to talk to David about actually accomplishing that and doing that. But as we got to talking, it was just like, okay, well, why don't we just at least introduce him to the community of Congregation Line of Judah? And so you get a little bit to know him and appreciate him, and you see his musical virtuosity, And uh, the Lord has really blessed him and he's going to come and we're going to figure out how to do that. Thank you, David. Thank you for being here with us today. Really appreciate that. Well, I do want to just take a look at God's word here today and in the light of the times that we're in understand what the Holy Spirit might be wanting to speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, you've been here from the very beginning of this day. We have sensed the weighty presence of your anointing. And Lord, we are grateful that you are going to come to your people and you're going to speak into our spirits even more. We quiet ourselves before you. We set our hearts to know you. We place our affections fully on you. And Lord, I pray that in this house, you will impart your life. Father, we are grateful that you are here. We praise you, Lord, that you're going to come into this word, and you're going to fill it, and you're going to fill us. Amen. Amen. Pastor Sam, Pastor Roberto, and I know Dr. Paul Jaley well. I've known him perhaps longer than many, because back in the day when I was really young and I was on the road with a musical group, uh, we used to sing at his church. Down in Plymouth, And he is the founder of the Plymouth Rock Foundation, and he's a great historian. And he has said so many times this phrase, as goes the church, so goes America. When you think about the implications of it, it's it's, it's really a weighty responsibility, and I believe it's a very important thing for us to examine, and for us to really savor. Because we look at the different things that are going on in America, and I wonder how we got here. Well, I'm grateful that we've seen a little bit of that explanation over the last few weeks about the social dilemma and the way that things are actually happening, that really, unwittingly, social media has brought into place. So we are technically getting an understanding of what has fostered the great sense of divisions. But the reality is, is that in a democracy, you get the kind of governance that is a reflection of the tapestry of the peoples themselves. And when the church loses its savor, its capacity, its saltiness, its ability to be able to actually articulate faith in a way that is compelling, the culture suffers. There is a very natural degradation that takes place. And it happens in every human heart. So there is not a sense of pointing fingers or making blame or, or, or looking at anybody, including ourselves, and, and feeling bad. It just doesn't help. It's not profitable. But the truth of the matter is that over these last number of Years, I have watched how things have happened in America. And for me, it's been a quandary. It's been a painful process to see and behold and to watch. Within my lifetime, Billy Graham, and I'm reading this as a report taken directly out of the Boston Globe... Billy Graham held a crusade in April 1950, and it says, this is the globe, Graham waged a five-day battle against sin and Satan in Boston. The visit began in Park Street Church and it moved to Mechanics Hall, and it ended with service a service on the Boston Common that drew a crowd of 50,000 people. People responded with great joy, and they were singing in the trolleys as they left these gatherings and these meetings. The whole city of Boston in 1950 was exuberant in faith the city had been touched. The city was alive because of the testimony of what was happening in that gathering and in that meeting. Now I remember, because I was a little child, five years old, when Billy Graham came to Toronto. And my dad took our family into that exhibition hall that was there down near the waterfront in Toronto, and we listened to the preaching of the gospel through that man. And I remember being five years old and, and taking a hold of my dad's hand and said, when when the invitation came, Dad, I, I can can I give my heart to the Lord? And I and and he said, yes you know, and and he walked with me up the aisle. Now, interestingly enough, my father was the Salvation Army officer at that time, and so he was in that Salvation Army outfit, and, and uh, we walked down there, and I remember praying and being serious in my soul as a child about receiving Christ. But by the time a few years later... Rolled by, I remember at Ryerson Institute in downtown Toronto, very close to the church that Charlotte's father pastored and I was in, and at that time as a teenager, in 1966, there was a big protest and a big gathering, and it was part of a movement called "God is Dead." And then a few years later, we see that there is a transition that is taking place in the culture in Toronto, where I was raised. But it also affected many other cities. It's here in the States as well. And the cover of Time magazine in 1966 had that story, that cover that was famous, God is dead. We recognize that there are these rhythms that take place down through the years in cultures. We know that this happens. The problem is that we don't always walk through the time seasons, or the seasons of the cycles may be longer than our lives. And so we may not be able to identify where some of these cycles are taking place and what is going on through the cyclical nature of things that happen. During the time period prior to the Great Awakening in America, it is said that America had descended from being a nation of pious Puritans to a nation of decadent drunkards. I can't imagine how it was, but you can read about it in the history books, and you can see that there was such depravity, that it was as though faith had absolutely lost its voice in the culture of America that had been founded on the principles of of people fleeing oppression, coming to America to be able to establish faith and a place where they could have faith and not be oppressed. Because they were oppressed in England. They had been oppressed for their belief systems and they wanted to find a place to be able to express their faith. Then God came on the scene, as we know, through the Great Awakening, and if you run, understand any of these things in the cycles of history, you can you can read about it, and you can see about it, and you can identify it. That God again will come in, and he what he does is he inspires. Usually, some small group of people. Usually, it's not usually a lot of people. It's usually a small group of people that become empowered by the Spirit of God, become absolutely determined that they're going to find His way and they're going to seek His face and they're going to look for that outpouring of His Spirit. And when they do, there is a breakthrough that happens. And when that breakthrough happens and it begins to bring a revival then the culture itself begins to change and begins to shift. I'm not sure exactly where we are, but we are in difficult times. You do not have to be a wise person to recognize that we are in one of these seasons where there is division, where there is problem, and where there is difficulty. But I want to tell you that there is a call of God upon you and there is a call of God upon this church. There's a call of God on our senior pastor and Pastor Sam and other pastors that we have in the Spanish congregation. There's calls on my life. There's calls on your life. You are about to change. And I'm telling you what, those of you that are watching online, Without being harsh or judgmental, we're grateful for you. We're thankful that you're watching. We're grateful that there are literally thousands of people that are watching these broadcasts. We're grateful. But there's going to be an arising in your soul too. And there's going to be an arising that's going to take place in this house, in this community, and in this city. God, by His Spirit, is about to birth something that we have been waiting for, we have been looking for, and the Holy Spirit is going to get inside of us, and He's going to arise because He cannot be contained. This worship that we were experiencing here this morning, and it's not that unusual, we experience the presence, the power, and the move of God. But there is something that's going to happen because the thirst inside of the soul of mankind is going to amplify and grow and the desire and it's almost as though we need that salt for our tongues so that we will begin to have that 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 hunger and that thirst for righteousness God is going to do this I want us to look at a couple of biblical examples I want us to see this because I and I'm going to look at, at at Samson's life because Samson is a classic biblical example of somebody who fell away from the call of God that was on his life. Samson was dedicated as a child. He was dedicated to the Lord. He was dedicated to be destined to be a deliverer in Israel. And ultimately, ultimately, he was able to fulfill his calling. The fulfilling of the calling upon Samson's life did not happen the way that we might normally think or or would have, uh, you know, kind of wanted. But as a man, Samson was powerful, but he lost his anointing by treating it lightly and being irresponsible with the carrying of that anointing. And it can happen, folks. He was literally lured to sleep in Delilah's lap. Here he was, a mighty man. All you have to do is look at the life and read about his story. And, I mean, you just see the might all over this man. The power to do exploits. Now, granted, he had actually experienced some great hostilities against him where the Philistines went and they, they, they killed the woman that he loved and they, 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 they burned her and they burned the father, her father. I mean, if that isn't enough, to, to set a sense of bitterness and anger and, and resentment in your soul. I mean, but you put that in the in, in the heart and the soul of a man who had the power and the strength of Samson, and some bad things are going to happen to some people. I'm telling you, that's just the case. And there he was. And he said, I'm going to get even with you, and he got he got these, these foxes and he and he tied a torch to two of their, ta- you know, put them in pairs and he would tie a torch to their tails and light the torch on fire. Now, those foxes are going to run like crazy with a fire behind them. I mean, they're going to be scared to death. And he sent them out into the grain fields of the Philistines and they literally ran, I mean, there were hundreds of these foxes, these pairs of foxes going through the grain fields and just lighting it up like a blaze. Well, do you think the Philistines are going to like that? I don't think so. And so they decided they were going to go after him, and they tried. And they tried to, and it's a whole story, and I'm not going to go into much more development of the story, but it's an interesting story, and you better take a look at it and want to read about it. They decided that he was, he, they were going to take him captive at that point and he just broke the bonds and he picked up the jawbone of an ass and he killed a thousand men. Now this is hand-to-hand combat in this day and time. Can you imagine one man picking up the jawbone of a donkey and using that as the weapon and killing a thousand men? That's a strong man. That is a mighty man. And at the end of it, he was so thirsty, he felt like he was going to die of thirst. He said, here, after doing this, and after killing all of these enemies, these Philistines, now I'm going to die of thirst. And, and God opened up the water for him to be able to drink. And it was the spring that came out of the ground, and he, he satisfied himself with that. But we look, and we see a little further down, And Samson, you know, this this can happen to anybody. And in varying degrees, it can happen to everybody. But because he felt invincible, invulnerable, he got to treating lightly the anointing that was upon his life. And you probably know the story, but there may be some who don't, so I'll tell it a little bit of how that he had this weakness for women. And, and it follows him in, in, in the biblical text, and you can read about it, but in this sense, this was his weakness, and he fell in love with a woman called Delilah, who was, she was a woman who was a, a, a harlot and a part of the Philistines and was actually a Philistine woman, and, and, but he couldn't keep away from her And he kept on going. And she used trickery and deception to try to get out of him. What was it that gave him the strength? What was it that gave him the authority, the power, the might to be able to do the things of exploits that he did? And we see, and without going into all of the details of how this happened again and again and again, ultimately, he revealed the secret. And the secret was that he had been dedicated to the Lord by his parents from the time he was a child. He was a Nazarite, and a part of the Nazarite vows was they would not cut their hair. And so he had never had a razor cut his hair. But he told Delilah this, if they cut my hair, I will lose my power. So she called up the Philistines, got them to come over and bring her the silver, it says, because she had bargained with them to be able to find his vulnerability. And so he came, they came, and they cut his hair, asleep in Delilah's lap. And they bound him, and they took him, and they gouged out his eyes. Here he was now, a man who could not be bound, now in chains, his eyes removed. They made him to walk at a grinding mill and push around in a circle this grinding wheel. And in the pushing of this grinding wheel, his hair began to grow. I'm going to tell you, there may be things that have happened in your life that have caused you to lose your authority or your power. But the giftings and the callings of God are without repentance. And whatever it is that God has put in you is going to come rising up. And you are not going to be able to contain it because it's going to overtake all of the oppression on your life. And God is about to do this not just for a few. God is going to do this for an entire an entire nation for sure. But he's going to do it in the earth. And God is going to be released to bring us up from that place of bondage. And you know the story. I'm not going to read it. It's, it's up there. We've got some of it in the scriptures. And you can glance at it if Marlene puts it up. But the the fact of the matter is that they decided they were going to bring Samson out and they were going to mock him and be entertained by him before their god, Dagon. And we see what happened as they brought him out and they mocked him. In his blinded state, he took and asked, The boy who led him out, show me where the pillars are. And he put his arms out and his hands out against those pillars. And he pushed on those pillars and they came down. And there were thousands of people, 3,000 people that were killed. He did more to defeat his enemies in his death. Than he did in all of the exploits of his life put together. I want to look at one other story. And this is the story of Peter. And we know Peter. And we're we we we're grateful for Peter. We see the good and the bad in Peter. We see the, the, the boldness and the authority and, and and the forcefulness of his personality. We also see the weaknesses that are there. But if you look at and I am going to read this from Matthew chapter 26, verses 31 through 35, because this is where they had, this is immediately following Jesus giving the communion and the Last Supper. And he says, and Jesus told them, this very night, you, w- you all fall away on, on the account of me, For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. They were all in agreement, nodding their heads. We would never do that. Oh, no, we would never deny you. And then they went out to Gethsemane, And in Gethsemane, Jesus began to weep and pray. And he took three, Peter, James, and John, with him, a little apart. And he said, stay here, watch with me and pray. And I'll go a little further. And he began to pray. And he prayed those prayers that we are so familiar with, saying to God, God, if there's any way Let this cup pass from me. Because in his humanity, he felt the agony of what that was going to cost him and what that was going to mean and what it was going to take for him to be able to submit to the cross. Because in his human, he felt all of those emotions and all of that feeling was deep inside of his soul. And he came back to Peter, James, and John, and he said to them, They're asleep. Please wake up. Watch with me. Can you not watch with me one hour? And I'm sure they stirred themselves and tried to, but they fell back asleep because they didn't understand what was really going on that night. They hadn't really understood the moment that they were in. And Jesus came back to them a a third time, found them sleeping, and he just left them sleep, and he went and prayed another hour. And after that, he came back. He woke them up. He said, let's go, boys. This is the time. They're coming. And Judas Iscariot came, identified Jesus by kissing him. And that was the sign to the high priest and the mob that was there. And Peter, of course, in his brazenness, pulls out his sword and he cuts off the ear of the high priest. And Jesus, in response to that, says, Peter, put away your sword. And there's so much that could be preached about that. I mean, we are not going to deal with these things with the weapons of the flesh. We are not going to deal with the things that we have to deal with, with, with carnal kinds of devices like that. Our weapons are... Not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We cannot just arm ourselves with the intellectual understandings, nor the physical things that we might think are are, are means and techniques. We have to fight. We sang those songs about this is how I fight my battle. Sam, you're absolutely right about what is going on. This is spiritual warfare, big time. We're in it. It's happening. This hour, this month, this generation, we're in it. It's going on. But we're not going to fight with physical things. And we see that Peter, after that, everybody else scattered, Peter followed from afar, but he kept close. And it says, now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, And a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. And he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway. And there another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. And he denied it again with an oath this time. I don't know the man. And after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter. And they said, surely you're one of them. Your accent, it gives you away. Then he began to call down curses. And he swore to them, I don't know this man and immediately a rooster crowed then jesus re- then peter remembered the words that jesus had spoken before the rooster crows you'll disown me 3 times and he went outside and he wept bitterly peter was forgiven he was restored by jesus After the resurrection, we see Jesus again asking him three times. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, really, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Have you ever been there? I've been there. I've been there. I tell you what, there is nothing sweeter than Jesus asking you those questions, reminding you of your fragility, not ignoring the things that you failed to accomplish or do, but affirming the love that he has for you. That's what Jesus is saying to you today. That's what Jesus is saying to me today. That's what he is reminding us of in this hour. We know that it was then at the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 that After the Holy Spirit had filled them with power and other people were mocking and they were looking and they were saying, these men are just drunk and what are they doing? They're speaking in tongues and and this is a strange kind of a thing that's going on. And Peter got up and Peter addressed them. And we read where it says, then Peter stood up With the eleven, and he raised his voice, and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you supposed. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days... God will pour out. He said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on the servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and bellows of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord, the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. God began on that day of Pentecost to pour out His Spirit, and He is not finished. That word from Joel is as true today as it was back then on the day of Pentecost, as we begin to recognize the day and the hour, the moment that we are in, I believe God is going to begin to ignite in our souls a passion after him that will not be able to be quenched until we are endued with power from on high again. I tell you, I have never in my life seen more prayer arise from the body of Christ than what we have seen over this last six-month period of time. Heaven will answer. Heaven will answer. We are about to see an outpouring of God's grace and God's anointing and God's power upon the entire earth. We have to steward what is ours, our portion. God is going to put upon us the ability to engage like we have never engaged before. And it is time that we begin to arise, and it's time that we begin to put off the different things of our failures, the different things of our limitations. We know that Peter failed. He denied Christ, even after saying, I will never do that. Samson, He found himself to be in Delilah's lap and asleep and finding himself being chained. We know this. We've been there, but we're not going to stay there because that is not the end of our story. That is not what we are born to do. We are born to arise and we are born to move in strength and we are born of the Spirit of God to be able to testify to His power, His anointing that is going to break through in the earth. He's going to break through through your life. And you and I need to take responsibility because God has empowered us And he has actually impregnated us with something of his anointing and something of his spirit. You know, the words of Jesus, they are not necessarily nice, easy words. And I've been just sort of living in Matthew chapter 25 and Luke chapter 21. Thank you, men. You can come back for sure. And in Luke 21, I'm going to read verses 9 through 28. And it says, when you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first. But then the end will not come right away. And Pastor Roberto has been emphasizing this. We're seeing things They are moving into a climax, and we are identifying it. We're seeing it happen. But there's more cooking that's going to be taking place. And then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes and famines and pestilence in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison. And you will be brought before kings and governors. And all on account of my name. I'll tell you what. It has a very poignant sense to it when it says you will be brought before governors with what's happened this week. The church in litigation with the governor of New York for the gatherings. I'm not here to try to put a position on this. I'm just saying it's happening. You will be brought before governors. The words of Jesus. And so you will bear... Testimony to me, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourself. For I will give you the words and the wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. I'm going to leave it there. I could read the rest, but I'm going to leave it there. Holy Spirit, We ask right now that you would settle in our souls that we are not to fear the day or the hour or the moment that we're in. I'm going to ask everyone to stand. I'm going to ask that you ask the Lord even as I am praying this prayer. He said, I will give you the words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Father, I pray that you will show us how to walk in your authority, to walk in your wisdom, to walk in the power of this anointing God. The anointing that you gave to Samson. The ability to be able to rise up against those who hated your kingdom, God. Your name, O Lord. You, Jehovah, they wanted to worship Dagon. But you brought their idol down. You brought their temple down. And Father, there are people that are are, are seeking to ascend are claiming that your kingdom, your ways, the church that bears your name, Lord, somehow has got to submit to governance. Father, we want to submit to everything that we can to live in harmony as much as we can. But Father, we are not going to deny you. And we are not going to deny the power of the church of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that you will loose into the hearts of men and women everywhere the ability to stand, the ability to rise, the ability to be able to move in synchronicity with you, Lord. Because you are going to win this battle. Father, you are going to win this battle You are going to win this battle. I'm going to read the words of a song that was written back in the 70s by a man by the name of Keith Green. I want you just to listen to these words. Do you see, do you see all the people sinking down? Don't you care, don't you care? Are you going to let them drown? How can you be so numb not to care if they come? You close your eyes and pretend the job's done. Bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. You know it's all I ever hear. No one aches. No one hurts. No one even sheds a tear. But he cries. He weeps. He bleeds. He cares for your needs. And you just lay back and keep soaking it in. Oh, can't you see it's such sin? Because he brings the people to your door. You turn them away as you smile and say, God bless you. Be at peace. And all heaven just weeps because Jesus came to your door and you've left him out on the street. Open up. Open up. Give yourself away. You see the need, you hear the cries. So how can you delay God's calling, and you're the one? But like Jonah, you run. He's told you to speak, but you keep holding it in. Can't you see it's such sin? The world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight. Because it's asleep in the light. How can you be so dead when you've been so well fed? Jesus rose from the grave and you can't even get out of bed. Jesus rose from the dead. Come on, get out of your bed. I'm not speaking this to to center out any person, nor even those who are watching in their pajamas. (laughs) It's time, Church of Jesus Christ. It's time. It's time.